So um, if you go to a Christian bookstore, any typical Christian bookstore nowadays, um, or if you go online, um, you, you will find uh, stacks of books on community. So you find entire series on uh, small groups, community groups, uh, creating environments on being connected in the church. And the typical book on how to develop authentic community uh, among believers um, comes really from two basic uh, theological and biblical perspectives. It's the first two uh, texts that we're looking at. It'll, it'll be on the screen as well this morning from Acts 2.42. I'm sure you're familiar uh, with it. Um, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, this is the one that you, you know, we get, we've been beaten about the head and face with since we were little kids. Uh, let us not hold fast the confession. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Now, as important as these passages are, by themselves, they're a really superficial basis for being truly committed to a community of believers. If you're gonna just show up, sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, go home, then these precepts are adequate as the basis of why to go to church. But the fact that the Bible tells you to go to church and it tells us in Acts that they used to have potlucks together in the early days is not enough of a reason to be really in with a community. So why should we care? Why should we immerse ourselves in the lives of other believers? And the answer may surprise you. The answer is one word, Trinity. And now, as I told Pastor Kurt before the uh, before this morning's service, I said, you know, the real advantage of being the lead pastor with a teaching team is you can opt out <laughs> and ask somebody else to take it on. Um, now, now, it's risky, I know. It's risky to have already, rather than suckering you in with like some really exciting video or something, it's risky to already tell you that this morning we're preaching theology. Um, but... But if you'll pay attention, the biblical understanding of the triune nature of God is amazingly at the very, very literally transformative level of helping us to understand why there should be a community in the church. It establishes the foundation for the existence of the church and the body of believers. And so, some of you are already thinking, boring. Um, and uh, I am gonna talk for longer than 12 minutes, so in order for you not to fall asleep by then, um, I'm gonna be a bad teacher to wake you up so that then I can be a good teacher. And so here we go. <laughs> this will awaken you. In many ways, the American church is really messed up. And um, I hope that the music that we just sang resonated more deeply in your spirit, but I suspect that resonates with many of us too. As you know, Christian sociologists have now told us for three decades that if you look at basically the entire core values and behavior of those who call themselves born again in America and those who have no faith at all, we live almost the same with almost the same core values. 
So the church has a whole lot of people who claim to follow Christ, but they actually don't. And so when someone comes into the church looking for something else, guess what they find? Well, this is just the same, this is just the same as work, but work doesn't make me give 10% back. I mean, uh, this is, uh, so the church is messed up, so guess what happens? We end up with a whole bunch of people getting hurt and a whole bunch of people being disappointed. Um, So this kind of dynamic going on causes many people to react. And so um, here are some common reactions to the messed up church, okay? This is gonna, some of you, it's gonna just feel good to write this down, okay? So ready? Reaction number one. Getting, here you go, it's, uh, time for you to get working. You've heard many times, I'm a layman, not a pastor, so I'm working on my day off, so so are you. Uh, reaction number one, getting so tired of the church's faults that I become disillusioned or disinterested. Most believers start all in, but then through years of experience and life events, many become passive, lukewarm. Many of them have had times when they were on fire for the Lord, but over time, maybe they didn't get the appreciation that they should have when they sacrificed for ministry. Maybe they got busy at work. Uh, maybe it was school activities or kids' sports. And, and they took these good things, they became distractions. They began to disengage from the body and uh, become spectators at church. Uh, this is really easy to do nowadays because it's so easy online and to find a church where they, there's just a great show for free because, in fact, you don't have to tithe. Best music in town that's free. Um, and in the end, they show up to the gathering, uh, maybe a small group in a Bible class, um, but not really engaged. Reaction number two, and this one's going to make some of you squirm, I move from church to church. Not asking for a witness or a testimony here. Uh, This incredibly common thing nowadays expresses itself in several very spiritual, godly, holy sounding ways. The reason I'm leaving is I'm not getting fed. Um, are, Are you a cow? I mean, you know, the, I like the, this church doesn't meet my needs version. Did you know the purpose of the church is to meet your needs? That's the, that's the great commission, basically. Find a place that meets my needs. And then there's the, uh, I don't like the music. So Josiah, it's your fault. Um, I mean, think about this. Um, but here's the problem. This leads believers to never really let anyone know them, and that means zero accountability, and a believer can't live like Jesus without other people telling them about their blind spots. Not gonna happen. So, one of the advantages of the early church was, you ready for this? (laughs) In a given city, there was one option. It was Ephesus' first church, and there wasn't a second or third. That was it. And so, notice, you had two options. You could either be honest that I don't wanna follow Christ, and leave the church, which at least was honest, or you stayed and you worked it out. That was your options. Um, But today, 
we have a boatload of options. Lots of us just move when the church doesn't meet our fancy. So reaction number three, reaction number three, I leave the church and make a plan for Christianity outside the church. If you wanna go, just go searching for blogs, you'll find this everywhere. My, I, I've, I've found an online community. That, by the way, is an oxymoron, okay? Look that up if you don't know what that word means. Um, so no, notice, um, here's the most common expression, write it in, here's your blank. I can follow Christ on my own without having to be part of an organized church. Now to be fair, in some ways, this reaction is completely understandable, right? Because today's church is so broken, and so people convince themselves that their individual plan to live a Christian life outside the body is even better than sticking with the church. Think about it, the church is messed up, I got me and Jesus in my Bible, and so I'm not gonna go to church and get messed up. See, it's really remarkable how good we are at spiritualizing, disobeying God, isn't it? We're really good at it. So no matter how hard you try to justify this, it's not God's plan. So I wanna show us how non-biblical this is for a Christian to try to follow Christ without being truly committed to a church. I call it the connection precepts. Here's number one, here's your blank. The church of Jesus Christ is never an individual or even several parts. It's always, it's always, it's always a whole body. You may be familiar with a passage in 1 Corinthians. Look, let's look at it together. For even as the body is one, yet has many members, and all the members of the one body, though they are many, are, are one body, as also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink from one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. So to say I can follow Christ on my own is the same as thinking that a mouth or an eye or an ear can function without the brain. It, it's a, it's, it's a, an, an utterly, non, it's not even, it doesn't even elevate to a wrong answer. It's a fundamentally non-biblical thought. I can follow Christ on my own is inherently a non-biblical thought. Con, uh, connection precept number two. Here's your blanks. If you try to be a Christian while disconnected from the body, then by definition, you'll also be disconnected from the head. And who's the head, church? Christ is the head. So the body metaphor is incredibly instructive. If you want to be connected to Christ, you must, you must be connected to the body. There is no other way. Um, the fact is, no one can follow Christ on their own. No one. Okay. Number three, precept number three, for a person to say, I'm gonna follow Christ, but I'm not gonna be committed to a church is arrogant and even heretical. Yeah, you know, when I take the gifts test, Pastor Kurt's almost perfectly balanced, 
Pastor Dana is strongly shepherd, and I get zero on the shepherd part. Sorry. Um, this is the zero shepherd part of the message. Um, so, so how can I make this strong statement? This is arrogant and heretical. Um, let me show you how far this, how this flows uh, from a foundational biblical precept. For a Christian to say that they aren't going to be part of the church is a rejection of Christ's claim when he said, I'm the vine. I'm the vine. Not you. I'm the vine. I'm the trunk. I'm the sustainer. I'm the source. I'm the power. I'm the holiness. Not you. I'm the vine. You're the branches. So this is, think about this. How can I make these incredibly strong statements? But here's the key concept. Trying to be a Christian apart from the church is like saying that I'm not just a branch. I'm actually a vine. I can be my source. I can be my source of holiness, of truth, of understanding the word. I can do that on my own and I don't need others. But this assumes that I can live the Christ life without being connected to his body, that I can be on my own a source of spiritual vitality, that I'm capable of hearing the word of Christ and knowing the will of God on my own. Anyone else honest enough to know I can't and neither can you? See, for a believer to say, I don't need the church to live the Christian life is making an enormous assumption about my own holiness, my own wisdom, my own ability to hold myself accountable for my actions, and especially to see my bad attitudes. We're so blind to our attitudes, and you know what? To everybody else, they stink and they see them instantaneously. We have to have people that see our blind spots. Um, uh, here's a great analogy for the Christian living apart from the church. Here's your blank, ready? When you remove a burning coal from the fire, it will always inevitably go out. Notice, no matter how hot it was when it started. I don't care how high your mountaintop was. I don't care, you might have even been called to be a missionary in Africa, and you're still planning on it. The reality is it doesn't matter how hot you are, how in you are, if you are set aside as a coal from the source of the fire and his body, you always will go out. Uh, and, and now we're gonna look at a related issue. And this is even gonna make more of you squirm, right? Here we go. While many Christians haven't abandoned the church altogether, they just simply show up sporadically. Um, some of you right now are thinking, shoot, why was today the day I chose to come? Um, a, a huge portion of churchgoers, oh, that, the, uh, sorry about the delayed laugh there. Um, oh, he's talking about me. Uh, a huge portion of the churchgoers only attend corporate worship once or twice a month. In fact, if renovation is anything like other, many other churches, then a third of those who are here today, you won't be here next week. But, but not to worry, next week you'll be replaced by the third of the people who aren't here today. Um, and, uh, you know, um, after all, it is football season. Um, I've got yard work that just can't wait. Our kids are on sport. You know, kids' sports teams play on Sunday now, and we know we can't miss that. Now, I don't understand what I'm 
saying. Don't misunderstand. Following Christ isn't about an attendance quota. It's about belonging, engaging, investing, and serving. But you can't do these things without being continuously connected to the body. Belonging is about being all in, and belonging is about being here for others, even though you don't feel like being here for yourself. Now, let me say this again, because this is a brand new thought to some American churchgoers. You need to be here for others, even when you don't want to be here for yourself. Oh, the church isn't about me? What a new thought. The purpose of the church is to woo me and impress me and inspire me? Never has it been. The church is a place that we come and die to ourselves so that we can die for a world who needs to know that Jesus died for them. That's the church. So let me make a point to the every other week crowd. I'll do it by being a bit absurd. Um, let's say you typically come on the first and third Sunday of the month. But what if the messages that you really need to hear are only on even weeks? You're hosed. See, um, now of course, that's silly, but do you actually believe that you know enough about the infinite God that while others need to hear the word every week, you only need half that much? Let that sink in for a moment. Just, just let, that, let that soak in. Um, I mean, in a minute, we're gonna act, I'm gonna get to the Trinity. As you can see, I'm delaying as long as I possibly can. Um, do you know enough about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to really think every other week cuts it? I mean, this is an astounding uh, par- uh, on our part. So, um, let's stop and think for a moment. We started by looking at a fairly common attitude. I'm tired of the church, or I'm disappointed with the church, or I'm disillusioned with the church. And to follow Christ, I don't need to be part of the church, or I can just hang around a bit. I don't have to be really engaged. I can come out every other week. Um, but as soon as we began to scrutinize this attitude in the light of Scripture, what we found ourselves is deeply into the theology of the body of Christ and of the vine and the branches, and saying, holy cow, I'm acting like a vine. Do I really think I'm godlike? Do I really think I've got enough of Jesus yet to be on my own? But if those weren't heavy-duty enough theological reasons for us to be truly all in with a community, we now come to God's very nature, the real reason to be in community. Um, so here's the Trinity. Um, to begin with, uh, I want you to, to look at a surprising theological truth, write it in. Trying to live the Christian life apart from the body is, at its foundation, a rejection of the triune God. Now, you obviously have to explain stuff like that when you say stuff like that. Listen, trying to follow Christ without being deeply engaged in a community of believers isn't just disobedience to God's plan for Christians. It's actually a rejection of who God is because, remember, God is at his essence relational, at his essence. Because remember, this is, you'll see this from several perspectives, but the other monotheistic religions do not have the absurd statement you hear all the time, the three monotheistic religions have the same God. No, 
Only biblical faith, true biblical faith has, when we say God, what we mean is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the one true God. Okay, so here's an amazing fact. I'm gonna illustrate this, right? That the whole understanding of the Trinity is the whole understanding of why the church exists and why we have to be all in. You ready for an amazing fact? This is stunning. Don't burn me at the stake until I get to explain it. Not even Christ could be holy all by himself. What? There's an incredible series of statements that Jesus makes. Turn to the jo- uh, John chapter five with me as I set this up. John chapter five. Jesus makes these amazing statements. It fills the gospel of John. He says things like, listen to this. He says things like, all I do comes from the Father. All I care about is to do my Father's will. I can do nothing on my own initiative, but I only do what the Father says to do. Look at Chapter five, verse 19. There's so many of these in John where Jesus is simply saying, everything about me isn't about me. It's all about my father. Over and over and over. So we only have have time for a few in one chapter. Look at verse 19, chapter five. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. Oh, Jesus, forgive me for the number of times that Dan thought I could do something by myself on my own, with me as the holy source, because what I'm doing is so good. Not even Jesus said that. Wow. I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things, the son also does in like manner. Down to uh, verse 26, look at this. For just as the father has life in himself, So he gave, he gave to the son to have life in himself. Jesus' life, he doesn't even claim his life comes from himself, even though he's the first cause who spoke the universe into existence. He says, hey, my life doesn't come from me. It all comes from somewhere else. Really remarkable, isn't it? Verse 36, verse 36. But the witness that I have is greater than you, Jesus talking, greater than John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So you ready for this? What is Jesus saying in the Gospel of John? Here's your blanks. Everything that Jesus is, including his holiness, his obedience, everything about Jesus, including his holiness, flows from his relationship with his Father. Think about this. The holiness of God flows from the triuneness of God. In other words, God's perfection, God's holiness flows out of the perfect relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Only in this perfect integration is the one true God seen for the holy God that he is. That's why Biblical faith is never a set of rules. All the other religions, it's one way or the other, it's a set of rules. God's happy with you if you don't follow the rules. No, God is yearning for this broken relationship to be restored. He wants, this is amazing. He actually likes us. 
He wants us, he wants us back. He made us, so he has to love us, right? But I mean, so he actually wants us back in relationship. Listen, folks, there is no other holiness. There is no other relationship. There is no other Christianity except the restored relationship with the one true God who has always been in relationship flawlessly with himself. So, we see how profoundly, see, I told you I was completely over my, in the prayer. I meant that when I said I'm completely out of my depth here this morning. Look at this. How profoundly should this impact the church? To say that I can follow God by myself is an inherently non-Trinitarian statement. You can, listen, you can be a good Muslim and a good follower of modern Judaism and say I can follow God by myself. Allah says this, I obey the rules. I do what he says, he's happy with me. If I don't, I'm in trouble. You can never be a true Christian and say I can do this on myself. So let's unpack some key concepts. Number one, no person, including God, can be holy apart from living in relationship with other persons. See, this concept explains Jesus' answer when he asked what the greatest commandment was, right? Think of what the great commandment isn't. It isn't the single statement, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's not what the great commandment is. Why couldn't Jesus finish the great commandment without adding to love your neighbor as you love yourself? Why does the great commandment include both? Because just like God, in his Trinitarian relational nature, no one can be holy apart from living in relationship with other people. Now, by the way, this, it started kind of mean, then it, now it's getting theological. In a minute, it's gonna get fun. So just stay with me here, okay? But we have to understand this. The reality is, there's no such thing as holiness in isolation. Let me give a perfect example. My dog has never sinned, ever. My dog is perfect because he's never sinned. No, he'll never be holy because holiness comes only in relationship with the perfect relational God and in relationship with other human beings. A rock doesn't sin, it'll never be holy. A tree, no animal. So remember, holiness is never described as a negative thing. The absence of sin doesn't make holiness. The presence of the triune God is the only source of holiness. So if you say, yeah, I can go sit in my thing and I don't do this and I don't dance and don't do this and I don't do whatever and all that kind of stuff, that is not holiness. It's never been holiness. It's relationship that creates. Holiness. Okay, so um, this precept is so profound that it is, is announced at the very decision point in history when God decided to create humanity. Here's the verse. Look at the verse. Then God said, this is going to blow your mind. Then God said, let me make man in my image according to my likeness. Isn't that a great verse? Except what's wrong? That's not the verse. Now this just went, whoa, over a whole bunch of Christians in America who think this is, that the reason I'm a Christian and about being Christian is I asked Jesus into my heart and I got my forgiven of my sins and I'm going to heaven. Christianity in America. No, 
It's deeply interconnected with a relationship with God and a relationship with other people. You ready to see the real verse, what we like to call the right way? Look at what it actually says. This makes the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons really uncomfortable because this is the Hebrew text. You ready? Then God said, is he schizophrenic? The one God, listen, the one God, the one true God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There are, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't get out of the first chapter before announcing, think about this, there are three plural pronouns in the declaration of the creation of the human race, why? Because the one creator, the one Jehovah, the one El Shaddai, the one almighty God is three persons. To say God, means community in perfect love. That's what it means when we say Yahweh. So what does this mean? God created us to be like himself. So when the word calls us to be holy, to be like Christ, to be like God, it means that the individual human must be deeply connected to others or you can be sinless and you're not holy. Listen again, Paul, read again if you get the chance. Read through Philippians chapter three where Paul is announcing all of the holy things on his holy list. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, 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 of the tribe of Benjamin, that special tribe, as to, you know, know, uh, it's just amazing. And it comes to the end of that and he says, and as to righteousness which is found in the law, I, I did the right things and I didn't do the wrong things. He says this word about himself. As to righteousness which is found in the law, I was found teleos, perfect, blameless. And you know where he puts that? He takes that and he puts it in the next paragraph on a huge pile of rubbish, but every translator's a liar because you're not supposed to say the word in church that actually the pile he put on. The King James, the old King James comes the closest. Anybody know what the word is? Dung. Paul took his flawless perfection before the law and called it refuse. Why? Because you can't be holy by not doing this but doing that instead. Never, holiness never flows from that. So, key concept number two, the essence of the Unitarian God cannot be love. Now hang on with this. This isn't fun yet, but this is a new thought for many of us. Ready? The essence of the Unitarian God, I'll explain Unitarian in just a minute, cannot be love. So, we're gonna contrast the Trinitarian understanding with the alternative, the monotheistic religions. Right? So the other monotheistic religions believe in one God, right? Only we believe in the plural personality of the one God. All of the others are Unitarian. This is what that means. God is a single being, a single entity, a single essence. Unity is the only description of God. Even though, amazingly enough, only the Trinitarian God answers the great question which the word university comes from, which is the unity and diversity. Guess what? There's unity and diversity in the first cause. No wonder the world can't find the issue of unity and diversity occurring because they don't follow the Trinitarian God of the Bible. So think about this. What do you think of a person? This is, this is incredible. 
What do you think of a person who only loves themselves and no one else? What do you think of a person who's completely self-absorbed? Now, I know what you think of them because we inherently know that self-love centered in a single entity turned in on itself is the antithesis of biblical love, right? Because the very essence of love is to give oneself to another. Love in the biblical sense. Now watch this, now make these two connections. God was God from eternity past. God was God before anything else existed. Listen, God was God before anyone else existed. No humans, no angels, nobody else. God and God only. No universe, no physical realm, only God. So if that eternal God is love, and he's only a single entity, he is the Unitarian's God, the Jehovah's Witnesses' God, Islam's God, Judaism's God. Then notice, when he loves himself, his love is the height of self-centeredness. If God is love and he's Unitarian, self-love is the expression of God. In other words, if God isn't triune, then he's the most self-centered, self-serving, self-absorbed being imaginable. Try this. Conceive of the horror of combining unlimited power with unlimited self-absorption. You can end up flying planes into large buildings and doing it for God because it is inherently selfish. God is inherently selfish if the one God is love. So from eternity past, the Unitarian God couldn't be love at his essence. Key concept number three. Hang with me. Some of us, you know, we're like, we get a sweat when we have new one new thought a day. Sorry, You're, some of you are profusely sweating right now. Key concept number three, since God existed before anyone else, it's only in his triuneness that God can love himself and simultaneously, sacrificially, give himself to other persons. Isn't that amazing thought? Let that soak in. God can be love because the one God is always giving to others. It's amazing. So think about it this way. All the way back when God was all by himself, he wasn't, are you ready? He wasn't all by himself. I know, it's mind-boggling, right? When it was only God, it wasn't only God. It was only God in the sense that all three of them loved and gave themselves. And in eternity, you know what? Before anybody ever sinned, before the foundation of the earth, before there was anyone to die from, the scripture says Jesus was crucified from the foundations of the earth. He was already saying, Father, I'll do whatever you say. Before there was a human to die for, Father, I'll die if you want me to die. Unbelievable. Imagine holiness without community. You can't think Christianly and do that. Here's the essence, you're blank. Here's the essence of the holiness of God. The three persons are perfectly holy because of their perfect love relationship with each other. Wow. Application, here's your blanks. Because God's holiness is inherently relational, no one can truly follow God without being committed to a community of believers. 
Now, right up front, I want to point out what a bummer this application is. Okay, I hate this application. Um, I, I didn't want to write this application down. I just wanted to continue to be theological. Well, this is a bummer, right? Let me explain. Can you, can you imagine how great it would be to invest your life in a church if you didn't have to get along with all the bozos? My dad's here. Dad, you tried your best. I'm sorry. Um, uh, Pastor Kirk, can you imagine what a great church renovation would be if it was just you? I mean, you know what occurs to me? Everybody would get the vision. All one of you. I mean, it would be a great, right? So, so um, now, now the next thing I'm going to say, I can, I can only say because I've been such close friends with him for so long, um, as great of a guy as Pastor Kurt is, he doesn't hold a candle to Jan, okay? Um, so, so, so can you imagine what a great church the Jan church would be? In fact, Jan, you wouldn't even have to get along with Kurt in your church. This would be great, um, but I just want to announce to you, you're not invited, but the Dan Church is the best, okay? So, um, now you can see why I took so much time at the beginning of the message to make the point of how messed up and annoying the church is. You see, now I want us to listen very carefully. It's time for us to look at the flip side of the point that seems so obvious to me. You know what's obvious to me? Just how annoying the church can be. What's obvious to me is how many high-maintenance people there are, whiners, snivelers, selfish, uncommitted people, babies, feed me, wow, 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 you know, the church, right? It's just, it can drive me nuts. Now, don't sit there looking all pious. I know, I just said what you were thinking. You just didn't want to let on, okay? So, now I want to take us a big step back. This is going to be really hard to grasp. Has it ever occurred to me that those people in the church with whom I'm so annoyed may actually be the true remnant? Is it possible that it's actually them who's tolerating me? I know, you've never had this thought, have you? Has it ever occurred to us that the Lord may have put those people in our lives for them to save us and not the other way around? Oh Lord, break my pride. Let me personalize this. Has it ever occurred to me that it costs the church way more to put up with me than it costs me to put up with the church? And now I'm really gonna push us. Do you realize how much we are indebted to the body of Christ? We live in a day when lots of people say, I don't like the church and I have my Bible so I'm just gonna follow Christ in the Bible. Or lots of others say, I, I, I don't gather with the body every week and I often do other things on Sunday and I'm not engaged in ministry or service to the church and I'm really not invested, but that doesn't mean I can't be a good Christian. Just look at the blogs. Do you realize that these statements are unbelievably outrageous, and this is where we're gonna end, with the four ironies about that attitude. Irony number one, here's your blanks. The only reason, remember that person that says, I can, I, I can have me and Jesus in my Bible, and I can probably even follow it better because nobody will mess me up. It's me and Jesus in my Bible. You ready? The only reason you even have a Bible is because of that annoying, inconvenient church that you don't think you need. That's right. It was the body that kept the faith all through the centuries. 
It was the body that treated the word of God as precious and paid the price, often the price of death to preserve the scriptures. And if those who came before us had the same arrogance to say, I don't like the church and I don't need the church, then listen, today, it's unlikely that any of us would have this in our hands. Irony number two. If it weren't for the church, (laughs) you'd have never known Christ so that you could have the insight to be disillusioned with, here's the irony, the church. (laughs) Talk about ironic. Only because of that messed up church can I have the insights of how Jesus wants to help me change her as I become more like him. Wow. Irony number three. While I'm annoyed with the bride, Jesus adores her and plans to marry her. Knowing everything about the church, Jesus still loves the church. And irony number four, this one kills me. This is the big one. (laughs) Irony number four, sorry. That incredibly annoying bride includes me. (laughs) So the true followers of Christ don't look at a messed up church and say, I don't need you. They look at the messed up church and they say, despite all your faults, I'd be lost without the body of Christ. I'd be lost. Pastor Josiah, come on up. In in a moment, Pastor Kurt's gonna come and close the service, but before he comes, I'm gonna leave us with a series of questions. Do you realize how much we're indebted to the body of Christ? And by the way, the moving forward of the body of Christ today is occurring with many, many hundreds of millions who are in places who they can be killed for being part of the body of Christ. We've had it so easy for so long, we don't realize the price that the church has paid for us. How much was it worth that the church brought the gospel to this land where I was born? Oh, help me, Lord. How much is it worth that I've been surrounded by people in the church who love God? How much is it worth that I've heard about Jesus because the church, as flawed as it is, told me about Jesus? Now, some of you are thinking, I didn't find Christ at the church. I found Christ online, or I found Christ from my parents, or a friend, or for grandparents. They, they led me to him. Well, then how likely do you think it is that your parents, or grandparents, or the bloggers would have known Christ if it weren't for the church? Do I really believe that I would have found Jesus without the body? Do I really believe that I would have been saved by figuring it out on my own? <laughs> do I realize that if I weren't for, uh, for being a part of a community, all of us folks are lost? And am I humble enough to recognize that I really do need all of you <laughs> if I'm ever gonna have any hope of becoming the person that God wants me to be, I can't do that on my own. Am I grateful enough to God that I'm willing to give back to the body? Am I thankful enough to be part of the answer for the others in the church who might be disillusioned or hurting or doubting or marginalized? Maybe you've been hurt by the church, lots of us have. 
Maybe you've been disappointed by the church, disillusioned by the church, or maybe you've gotten so tired of the church's fault that you become passive and just kind of disinterested. You just kind of, when, when it works out, we'll go. Or maybe you've caught yourself in self-pity because the church or the leaders haven't taken care of you or been responsive enough to your needs. Well, here's the thing. We're called to be in relationship. We're called to be in community. We're called to be in fellowship because not one of us can be like Jesus on our own. Is this your church? If this is your church, are you deeply invested in the body life? If you're a visitor, are you deeply invested in the life of your church? Are you in? Are you intentionally connecting with others? Do you suffer when they suffer? Rejoice when they rejoice? Do you even know enough about the people of your church to do that? And do you care enough to be connected so that when you know others are in pain, you'll be there? When the body's worshiping, are you worshiping? When the body is serving, are you serving? When the body is sacrificing and tithing and giving, when the body's inviting people to come be part of the body, are you in? But why should we do this? There's no other plan. There's no plan B, folks. The body of Christ is the answer to save the world. There's no, you're not the answer. We are the answer. Jesus alone wasn't the answer. Remember, you've probably heard me say this before. Read through Gethsemane again. The son wouldn't have gone to the cross. It was God, the Father's will, who got Jesus to die for you and me. Jesus said, I want out. Oh my, our holiness can only be together. So, if you believe in the triune God, then you can't get away from his relentless call to be deeply committed to the church for whom he died. So here's what we learned today. We're called to reflect the nature of God. And his nature is to live in community, to live in relationship, to live in commitment to others, to live with self-sacrifice. And God established his church as the place where we reflect his nature. Here's the call. No matter what's happened, no matter what your story is, no matter where you find yourself today, and no matter what the cost, it's time to be committed. It's time to be connected. It's time to be present. It's time to be all in. Pastor Kurt, come and close.